This is a podcast from Minute Media. Three, two. So, Panther fans, welcome to another podcast of the Four Man Rush tonight. We got myself, Will. We got uh, Country Kev. We got JD. Also at Panthers Den Four MR on Twitter. We have a special guest, uh, Timothy Bailey. Uh, Tim, you want to introduce yourself to the Panther fans before we get started today? Let them know what you've been up to and what we're getting with. This big news today with trading for Browns quarterback Baker Mayfield. Absolutely, man. I, I really appreciate you guys having me on. Uh, my name is uh, Tim Bailey. I uh, am a journalist for uh, MikeFarrellSports.com. I also work for Storman and Norman. So I've covered Baker Mayfield to some extent since about 2015 when he became the starting quarterback at the University of Oklahoma. So I followed his career and um, in the NFL and watched all of his film and we talk about him all the time. He's a, you know, he's a big, uh, people like to, people like to read about him and in, in still in Norman, Oklahoma. So, um, you know, got to keep up with him and, uh, think it's a cool and awesome opportunity for the Panthers to trade for Baker Mayfield, especially, uh, given how cheap they were able to acquire a quarterback who's had some success in the NFL, um, you know, for next to nothing, you know, sometimes you got to take a few shots and they did with Darnold and they tried it with, you know, Bridgewater and they, you know, they took some stabs at it, and I think that they've got a guy now who, you know, has had some success in the NFL, and I don't see why he can't have success with Car- with Carolina because I think that the roster is set up actually pretty well for uh, for some success to happen pretty quickly. Yeah, thanks for sharing. Now, Kev, I know you were one of the people that was against making another trade for a quarterback earlier in the offseason, but when you listen to the terms of this deal, I mean, for one year, one year, $4.8 million. So Cleveland's taking on the majority of the contract. And on top of that, a fifth rounder in 2024, a conditional fifth rounder actually in 2024. What are your thoughts on the trade and what the Panthers are getting with this? Um, I answer that in two ways. As far as a value point of view, I mean, shout out to Scott Fitterer. He is really established himself as – a GM that truly has an eye for not only talent, but uh, patience as well. Uh, you know, I, you know, I was in my feelings about him last year, you know, passing up so many offensive linemen in the draft, kept trading back, trading back. But uh, he definitely made up for it um, this year. Uh, this was another case where he just chose to wait it out. Uh, you know, you know, I was telling you guys, you know, when the draft was going on that we was in negotiations with Cleveland, but uh, the money part was the hang up. And so – you know, with the circumstances, with everything going around, uh, we didn't, you know, give in to the pressure of uh, giving up more than what we felt comfortable for. And we end up walking away like we just won a Walmart gift card, basically. You know, we're talking about how often do you get a quarterback that was chosen number one overall just, what, four years ago uh, for a conditional <laughs> fifth-round pick. Um that's unheard of. And another thing, the Panthers are the first team to ever have two quarterbacks that was chosen in the top five on rookie contracts, too, you know, with Sam Donald and um, Baker Mayfield. So, you know, leading in a unique way like we always do. Uh, but uh, as far as as a fan, you was right, Will. I, I really wasn't a fan of trading assets. I'm a big fan of, you know, using your draft picks, building through the draft, um, you know, build up you know, your trenches and things of that nature and to already been done giving up uh, the three picks for Sam Donald, uh, already eating the, what, $12 million we had to pay Teddy Bridgewater's contract, uh, just a revolving door at quarterback um, since the 2018 season. Uh, you know, I was just pretty much like, you know, you know, fed up with it. And then, you know, we did a trade to get back up to get Corral in the third round. Uh, so, yeah, I was uh, – you know, I was pretty much like, Ugh, you know, just just wasn't feeling any more trades. But a deal like this, I mean, you, you just you just can't pass up opportunity. You know, for all the negative things that I felt about Baker Mayfield, it wasn't so much on the field. It was kind of like his the way it was perceived, his off field attitude, sense of entitlement was. It just kind of rubbed me the wrong way. I know what type of coach and type of locker room we have down here, and. I just didn't want someone on the team that felt like, hey, I'm the more overall pick. I'm entitled, you know, but um, I'm definitely open minded. I always said whoever wears the name on the front, I'm going to throw my full support behind them. 
So, you know, welcome to Carolina Baker Mayfield. Let's go to work. Uh, JD, let's go back to 20, man, 2018. Cam Newton goes down, right? I mean, plays great for the first eight games, goes down, Steeler game, he gets hurt, performance falls off. Since then, Taylor Heineke, Kyle Allen, Will Greer, Cam Newton comes back, Teddy Bridgewater, PJ Walker, Sam Darnold. We've had seven different starting quarterbacks over the last three years. So Baker Mayfield week one will likely be the eighth. Do you think this could help finally get the Panthers some stability at the position for at least one year? I think for for one year, yes. If you look at the laundry list of guys that have been here now, Baker is easily the best out of all of them. Easily. We're talking post uh well post injury cam twenty eighteen. You what you got journeyman backups, Sam Darnold, the worst quarterback in the league last year, in my opinion. It's like I don't I don't see how you're upset about this. Yes, um, right now it's only for this next year. But if Baker balls out, you have your guy. Extend him. He's just on a rookie deal. So um it gives them potentially the Panthers the option to extend him. I would let him play it out. Um, I've been a fan of his, at least, if not his play on the field all the time, his moxie. He has an air of confidence about him. He has that dog in him. Um, so I think if he if he balls out, then you got to consider extending him for the right price. And then if he does ball out, you got your guy. There's no need to look any further. So, Tim, let's go through Baker Mayfield's career. I mean, come in, drafted number one overall by the Cleveland Browns. I mean, they're 0-16, total disaster when he walks in. I mean, they made some offseason improvements. But, I mean, it was pretty much a brand-new start for a team that's just – they were a joke of the NFL. He comes in, plays pretty well his rookie year. I mean, if I recall, Josh Allen, those other guys got off to slow starts. Baker got off to a fast start his rookie year. And he saw a significant drop-off his sophomore year, throwing 22 interceptions, bounced back 2020, had a great season, leads the Browns to the playoffs, won a playoff game. Things are looking bright. And then last year, not so much. You know, you see the issues with Odell Beckham going on in Cleveland. Word was coming out that they were looking to go elsewhere. Just kind of walked through the roller coaster ride of his career and what's caused these ups and downs and why has it been so difficult for him to establish that consistent level of play we've seen in 2018 and 2020? Absolutely. So starting in 2018, I mean, when he went to the Browns, 0-16 doesn't even begin to describe it. They were 1-31. They had won four games in the previous four years. Um, they had finished last in the AFC North for seven consecutive seasons. Um, the Browns were the worst franchise, the worst run franchise in – professional sports, at least in North America. I can't vouch for the world because I don't know enough about everybody else, but North America sports, they were the worst. Not even the Lions were as bad as the Browns were when Baker Mayfield came there. And to, to make matters worse, their best players, um, <laughs> Josh Gordon, um, Joe Thomas, um, Joe Hayden, no longer on the roster. Um, sure, they had picked up Jarvis Landry, um, and Landry's a great player, you know, but we all know how much, how much, especially young players will rely on more on an outside receiver. They need that outside receiver threat more so than an interior receiver. Um, cause a little bit more difficult, obviously, when you're getting up to speed to throw into the middle of the field as a young player. Um, but yeah, 2018, he comes in, I mean, he has the worst coach in the NFL and Hugh Jackson by far. <laughs> He doesn't let him win the job. We all, everyone knows that he's much, he's a much better player than Tyrod Taylor. With no disrespect to him, who was a very respectable uh, player in the in the league, uh, he carved his own path, and I respect Tyrod for that. And he's had some bad luck, but Baker was the superior player. And you get to the point in the game where he finally gets a debut. And he's down fourteen to nothing when he takes his debut snap in the NFL. The team still hasn't won a game, and they're on the third game in the season. And uh, Baker leads them to a come from behind win, opens the coolers for them because, you know, that was their thing is if the Browns win a game, they'll open the coolers. 
Um, you get a couple weeks down the road, and they're playing the Ravens, the number one passing defense in the league. He lights them up for over 300 yards, leads them to a comeback win in overtime. Uh, or not a comeback win. They led most of the game, but they, the game went to overtime. He had a game-winning drive in overtime. Um, you know, you go through the season. Hugh Jackson eventually gets fired because he won't play guys like Nick Chubb over um, Carlos Hyde and stuff like that, and it just gets weird and wonky. And then you have Greg Roman, who probably still isn't even as good of a coach as Hugh Jackson comes in and replaces him. And this dude does nothing less than literally play at a top 10 level as a rookie. He's a top 10 to 12 quarterbacks rookie. Pro Football Focus graded him 12th. To put in perspective, in his rookie season, uh, big-time throws, he ranked third in the NFL, and he didn't play in two and a half games. Uh, he set the NFL rookie record, breaking Peyton Manning and Russell Wilson's uh, touchdown record for a rookie quarterback. He may still have that record if he had played in the additional two and a half games. Justin Herbert has since broke that record. Um, Baker was just nothing short of a baller. I mean, the Browns almost made the playoffs. They were still in playoff contention in week 16 that season. Um, the shift was dramatic and certainly he didn't do it alone. And it's football. You don't do anything alone, but everyone knows what a quarterback brings when you have a competent quarterback. Baker Mayfield was being called by the Ravens defensive coordinator at the time, the John Elway or Brett Favre of this era. I mean, Baker was flat balling. He was on top of the world. That's why he got all those commercials and everything steamrolled for him like that because he was that dude when he got drafted as number one overall pick. He was the best quarterback at that time of that class, without a doubt. <clears throat> now, <laughs> you go into 2019, and Baker had as bad of a as bad of a uh, <clears throat> second year as you can ask for. Um he leads the league in interceptions for four uh, through the first four seasons of his career. And almost entirely, this has to do with that second season where he threw 21 interceptions, where that's nearly 40% of his career picks. You know, he struggles. Freddie Kitchens, who he doesn't even, I don't even know if you can count him as a head coach, becomes his head coach. I mean, this is this is how much of a laughing stock this organization is at this point. I mean, Freddie Kitchens had never been anything more than like, a tight ends coach or a fullbacks coach in the league. And this dude is now a head coach of an NFL franchise with a young quarterback. You trade for Odell Beckham Jr. Not a great fit for a young quarterback. Good, good talented player coming off injuries. Dude that doesn't really like to, you know, go in the flow of the offense, likes to kind of do his own thing. He's a bit of a above the X's and O's kind of guy. Not great for a young quarterback where you're trying to get to make good decisions. Uh, he he has a terrible year. He puts on 10 pounds in the offseason, slightly by design, because that's what Kitchen's staff wanted him to do. Also slightly, probably not as much by design. As he joked later, he had to cut down on Mexican food. <laughs> that's what he said in a press conference. But yeah, about a disastrous of a 2019 season. He had some bad luck. He played very bad. He threw his only three red zone interceptions that season. Um, <clears throat> it was bad. But, you know, you had the promise of that first year, and we have seen people regress in the second year, not typically like that, but still have a still have a successful career. And the third year comes up, and you have some amount of stability. You're learning a new offense. It's really not fit for the way he likes to play football. He's more of a pre-snap guy, like you would see maybe a Matt LaFleur offense, a pre-snap. You know, you want to read the defense, see kind of your cues, and have a good idea of where you want to go before the snap maybe a one, two, three read kind of guy at most. Um, that's kind of the ideal setup for a quarterback like Baker Mayfield and a lot of reasons for that. Obviously, the stature, how, how tall he is, you know, how quick his release is, you kind of want to have that kind of setup for a guy like that. But you also, you know, you're, so you're playing in a timing and rhythm offense and Baker has a huge arm, so it works out, you know, even though they don't have a very good receiving room. Odell Beckham gets hurt again because that was the recurring theme for him, you know, after – he left the Giants, unfortunately, for Odell. He just kept getting hurt over and over again. Uh, Baker takes off, has that incredible five-touchdown performance against Cincinnati. And Baker has to play. I mean, the back half of that season, Baker plays not just good football. He plays elite football. He has 113 passer rating or something like that over the last several games. He plays three inclement weather games. He plays a game against the Jets where he meets his wide receivers for the first time in a parking garage before the game because the COVID season was really fun like that. Um and even despite all that, he's just out there balling and just playing at such a high level. I mean, 
no one was stopping the Browns offense at the time because the threat of the run and his ability to throw the football down the field, um, they made it a really tough offense to defend. And, um, you know, as you guys know, young quarterbacks ascend. They find a moment, they figure it out, and they ascend. And that's what happened with Josh Allen in that very same season. Obviously, Josh Allen ascended more than Baker Mayfield did, but usually they find a groove and they ascend. And that's where it looked like we were heading. And through two weeks of the regular season this year, Baker Mayfield led the league in yards per attempt and completion percentage. So it looked like he was doing well. And then in that week two game, tears his labrum. Um, Week six, fractures his shoulder. Um, And then I think the Cincinnati game, which I believe is week nine, is where it really falls apart for Baker. Baker injures his heel at the end of the Cincinnati game. Uh, And now he has a severe deep bone bruise in his plant foot. He has a torn labrum that also has, you know, a fractured shoulder in it. Um, He has a knee contusion. He has a groin injury. And then over the last six games, he throws 10 interceptions and he looks completely like he can hardly walk. You're unsure why he's even in the game. It looks crazy. I don't know how many of those games you watch, but he's walking gingerly. You could clearly see that this is a dude that had no business being on the football field. Um, part of that is his own fault and being stubborn, as, but obviously there's also some fault for the front office and the coaching staff. You have to know when to protect your players, and they certainly did not do that for Baker. Um, I, I honestly think that the last last season, you kind of have to chalk it up to injuries because the way he was playing at the beginning of the season and the way he was playing at the end, his last 16 starts, he had a passer rating of over 100. Um, he was playing good football. I mean – uh, he'd only thrown five interceptions over the 20 previous games before the heel injury and then threw 10 over his final six. There's clearly a separation and a difference. You know, he wasn't himself before the heel injury, but he was ab- he was good enough. You know, he had like a 99 rating before the heel injury, 99 rating and 67% completion or something like that. He was playing good enough football for the Browns to win, but he couldn't be the reason that they won in many ways that he was in 2020. A lot of people try to dismiss the things that he was able to accomplish, but Baker Mayfield played at an elite level and the Browns made the playoffs by one game. Baker Mayfield's contributions to that team in 2020 were paramount. They weren't, they weren't just a product of the run game. I mean, they were paramount for their success to even get to the point where they were at. Um, Baker Mayfield is it's one of the weirdest conspiracy theories that nobody wanted a 27 year old quarterback with playoff success. Um, never followed a more weird story. I, I don't think. Uh, and I'm a, I, I grew up a Dallas Cowboy fan. I watched Tony Romo throw for 500 yards and then get like screamed at by fans in the post game press conferences. I thought that was crazy. Um, but yeah, no, there there's a uh, Baker Baker's had it rough and you know, he has a lot of stuff to blame on himself. Um, some of the th- reasons why people feel the way that they do is because Baker can be brash and he can talk when he shouldn't talk. Um, my best advice to Baker, and I've met him multiple times, he's a humble and he's a nice dude. He doesn't come off that way, though, because sometimes he'll say things that he shouldn't say. Um, and uh, that's something that you, you know, we even, I don't know if you guys remember in 2019, Richard Sherman made up a lie that Baker Mayfield refused to shake his hand. And they had to show the camera that he actually did shake Richard Sherman's hand. Right. Yeah. I mean, but people were people were punking him because you know he had opened his mouth too much, and you know they're trying to embarrass him and stuff like that. So Baker's got to do some things where he's got to relax, and he's got to he's got to say the right stuff. Um, and he's not always good at that, and that's 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 the thing he really needs to help himself with because perhaps his whole perception would be different. Because we're talking a guy clearly a top ten quarterback in twenty twenty. He was a t- clearly a top 10 guy. I mean, he's top 10 in just about every advanced metric you can think of. Top 10 in adjusted completion percentage. Top 10 in uh, QBR. Top 10 in deep ball efficiency. I mean, the dude was playing at a super high level. For him to have one bat, for him to have a bad year after an injury, it's very unusual that he's had this, you know, that he's he's facing something I just don't think I've ever seen before. Um but a lot of that, again, he has to he has to learn to chill and just say less. I think that that'll help him a lot if he can do that. And you look at 2020, I mean, it's the tale of two seasons. The first eight games, you're looking at a guy had 1,900 passing yards, eight touchdowns, only three interceptions. He threw 10 interceptions in his last eight games. So, I mean, the bad performance of the last season was pretty much back towards yep. the back of the year. I mean, the first year, he kind of continued – 
that hot start he had when he was playing well throughout 2020. And we talked a lot about uh, Baker, Kev. I know you're a trench guy. And, I mean, as bad as our quarterbacks have been, we haven't really helped them out much. I mean, Sam Darnold, you know, we criticized Sam, but to his defense, I mean, you had Cam Irving, Pat Elfline blocking for him. He was hit under pressure a lot. Couldn't really ever get comfortable in the pocket. Teddy Bridgewater didn't have a good old line. He had Greg Little, you know, Trent Scott rotate, you know, musical chairs at left tackle. We had a lot of injuries on the interior. And we know Cam's always had, you know, issues at left tackle. You know, a different guy started that position with Jordan Gross. What do you think? Do you think the Panthers have done enough this offseason on the offensive line to give Baker the best chance to succeed so maybe hopefully we can get the 2018 and 2020 and first eight games of 2021 version of it. Yeah, I definitely think that the Panthers pretty much uh, for what they had to work with made vast improvements to the offensive line. Let me go on the record by saying this. The past two to three years, Baker Mayfield has played behind a top five offensive line in Cleveland. Uh, those guys are nasty, disrespectful, abusive, and I love it. As a trench guy, I mean, it didn't matter whether it was zone blocking, uh, you know, power gap blocking, uh, oh, my God, trap blocking. Like, these guys, they were just playing filthy with it, and I loved it. So um, what we got, we're not there yet. We're, we're not there yet. Now, talent-wise, um, I mean, you look at we got, obviously, the number one left tackle in the draft um, with the Iki Ikuanu. Uh, got a nasty center, and Tim, you might recognize from, you know, been a division rival of Cleveland and Baltimore, um, Bozeman. Um, you know, I'm definitely a, a fan of his. Uh, you know, and then we picked up um, from the Rams, uh, Cor uh, Corbett as well, mm -hmm. who started off in Cleveland and then went to the Rams, got in the right scheme fit, kind of found his way, and was able to finally cash in, uh, cash a check. Uh, then we got the Panthers' longest offense, longest standing offense lineman, Taylor Moten, who can be pretty dominant at times. And sometimes he has his moments where you're like, come on, Taylor, you can do better than that. But overall, definitely have a, a solid right tackle. So uh, the key is, you know, what, who, who we're going to put in at left guard. I know a lot of fans want us to give that position immediately to uh, Brady Christensen, who we drafted in the third round last year. I like Brady's athleticism at that position, but uh, I, I have yet to seen him be physical and dominant at that position. And Tim, you could probably, you know, understand how important it is for your guards to be real physical and nasty. And I, I, I've just yet to seen enough of that or hardly any of that from Brady Christian, either in college or when he played last year to feel like, okay, he's the guy that's going to get plugged in at left guard. I know a lot of, Nearly every media outlet now has been saying, oh, he's the left guard. Um, personally, I, I think it's going to be a battle between uh, guard Michael Jordan, who played at Ohio State, and we picked off the practice squad from uh, Cincinnati. I like him. Um, I like Deontay Brown, who drafted sixth round last year out of Alabama, now that he's at the proper weight that he needs to be at. And I like who we drafted, uh, Cade May, sixth round out of uh, – out of Tennessee as well. So, yeah, I, yeah. And, and he has versatility. He can actually play all five positions. So yes. I, uh, I really hope that they make these, uh, make that a, a wide open position. I mean, made a best man win. Um, I'm a little biased. I'm kind of pulling for either Dante Brown or Michael Jordan to win it, but uh, that's just me. Cause again, I like my guards to be just nasty and just downright disturbing, like borderline getting a penalty for how hard they block it. So, and I just don't see that in Christian. Now, Christian, he got the athleticism, quick elite get off, uh, can get to the next level. But, you know, you got to bring your ass with you when you block. You know, you got to, you know, you got to, you got to make your presence felt. But uh, as far as tying it all up into Baker Mayfield, I definitely think that with his style of play, with his quick release and with the weapons he got, uh, he can help the Panthers offensive line jail a little bit more and be on the field a lot longer to be able to establish tone and attitude. Uh, but it, it's, it's not going to be what he was used to in Cleveland. So it's definitely going to be a, a couple of notches down. But it has the potential to be something 
um, special, something that can make us contending. I will say this, uh, in Baker's defense, when we talk about the Cleveland offensive line, the interior of the offensive line in Cleveland has been good since he's been there, but the tackle has been kind of a revolving door. Aside from 2021, they've dealt with a ton of injuries and inconsistencies. Um, last, I mean, they had J- James Hudson and um, Nick Harris playing tackle last year. Those were number four and number five tackles last season. Uh, while Baker's on a bad heel and all the injuries, I mean, that was a tough thing for him to deal with. You know, obviously, if you're going to throw the football as many times as the Browns decided they needed to do on that Monday night football game against the Steelers, um, you got to have tackle play that's going to hold up. And, uh, you know, you talked about Greg Little and a couple of tackles that Baker was familiar with in, uh, in, in Cleveland in 2019, and that tackle play was poor. You're right, absolutely. The guard play has to be great because there's a lot of good interior rushers now. And not only that, but let's be honest. I mean, the Panthers want to run the football too. I mean, they've got the personnel to run the football. They're going to want to run the football. They're going to want to set up the RPO game. They're going to want to, you know, they're going to want to dictate, you know, how the the defenses are going to defend them, play the numbers games and, you know, run the football. So you got to be versatile. You got to be flexible. I like Christensen at left guard, but you've, you're absolutely right in terms of his physicality. That's the reason why he wasn't a first round pick. Because he has everything you want, aside from sometimes he's not as mean as you want him to be, you know. So exactly. if he can get meaner, man, like that is a really talented dude. Like, and I know that they had a higher grade on him as a guard, if I remember correctly. I think Matt Rule mentioned that he had a higher grade on Christensen as a guard than he did as a tackle. Um, and on paper, it makes sense. I think Christensen has a good chance to win that. But the, I mean, I'm just looking at what the Panthers did, you know, to address the offensive line, and you really can't ask for a. I mean, the offseason has gone about as scripted as you can go for that offensive line. I mean, you get the guy that you think there's no chance falls to you, falls to you. The best lineman, in my opinion, in the draft, the most flexible and versatile, at least, in Icky. And then you get a quality starting center in Bozeman. You get Corbett. I mean, you get to move Christensen, who is okay at times at left tackle, but you get to move him inside. It's a little easier to play inside than outside in the NFL. And then, you you know, you bring in Icky. I mean, I've heard some stuff where, you you know, there's some back and forth. Maybe Christensen plays left tackle and Icky plays inside. I just don't see how you draft a guy that high and play him inside at left guard. I just don't know how you do that. I don't think that's justifiable. But, I mean, if you win games, I guess you can justify anything, right? But I just don't see that being the case. Uh, J.D., we will talk about the skill positions now. I mean, I know the one – Biggest piece on the Panthers' offense, it's always no matter who the quarterback is, the offense runs through Christian McCaffrey. Um, 2019, was it? 1,000 yards rushing, 1,000 yards receiving. You know, third player in NFL history to ever do that last year and the uh, year before, 2020, 2021. McCaffrey just can't stay healthy. And that was took a big shot to our offense. And I think it also had a big impact on Teddy's play and as well as uh, Darnold's downfall in his play last year um, at the wide receiver position. I mean, he's going to have DJ Moore, three straight 1,200-yard seasons, uh, big extension, so we'll expect big things out of him. Robbie Anderson, Rashard Higgins, Terrace Marshall Jr., very high upside player coming out. Uh, what do you think of these weapons, uh, Bakers, coming in here in Carolina? How do you compare them to what you saw in Cleveland? Um, it's tough because a lot of times what people will tell you about Cleveland is that um, the skill positions he had, Baker had the best team around the best case scenario as far as talent goes. Um, I think that's a little bit of an overstatement when you think about it. Um, I love Nick Chubb. Nick Chubb is my guy. I, I probably will take Nick Chubb over over Christian, honestly. He's just got a special place in my heart. Um, but the running back position, they like to pound the rock. Up in Cleveland, they ran the rock well, set up their play action. Um, yeah, it's tough for me because I don't, I can't guarantee how much Christian is going to play. I, I'm, I'm fairly certain. I would say I would call it about eighty-five. Nope, ninety-five percent certain Christian is going to be hurt at some time, at some point this year. That's more so because I don't trust the coaches to track his snap uh, or his touches. I don't, I don't trust that they will break that up with Dante Foreman or Chuba Hubbard. I think they're going to ride with Christian until the wheels fall off. Honestly. We've seen it every year up until this point. That's just how my uh, my outlook on this game is. I'm excuse me. I'm battling this puppy. She's trying to tug of war me while I'm talking. 
Um, but yeah, when you look at the running back position, uh, two, two, um, Nick Chubb is different. Christian is also um, an extremely talented player, so you could call that a push. Jarvis Landry, um, solid guy, more of a slot guy coming out of LSU to me. Um, quick, doesn't necessarily um, have top end speed, but if you get him in space, um, he's quick enough to make you miss. Um, and that would lead, yeah, that would lead into a slot position, working small. Uh, Underneath routes, drag slants, um, solid at the point of catch. I can't tell you that I would take him over DJ Moore. I'm not sure that I could say that. Um, just because DJ Moore gives you the rack ability, he gives you a little bit more vertical, um, gives you a little bit more from the X position or the outside receiver position. And I think DJ Moore his ceiling at the slot because of his um, run after catchability could be higher than Landry, but Landry is a solid pro. No, no doubt about that. Now the other wide receiver positions before Odell got there and got hurt every year. I think Carolina is in a better spot as far as depth goes at that position. Um, when you look at it, Robbie Anderson had a down year last year, but was just literally a thousand yard receiver the year before that. Um, and uh, as well with him, um, he's quick. He he can win off the line or whatever, work underneath, work in immediate. But he's a deep ball guy too. Um, so that gives him a little that gives us a little bit more flexibility. Terrace Marshall, same way. I think he can win quick, but again, with his length size, um, height, weight, speed kind of thing, he's he's becoming a threat. He can be a threat on the boundary as well. So there's a there's a mixture of weapons here, honestly. Well, we're going to disregard the tight end position because there it's just a huge question mark. And they weren't really um, weapons like that last year. But as far as the the the, the um, diversity of talent as far as weapon goes, hey, it's a good situation. It's not a terrible situation as far as the skill positions go. So when you look at, um, you mentioned, I mean, I know, PFF has its upside and downside, but just as a quick glance to kind of find out where Baker is compared to his peers, 2018, after his rookie season, they had him as the ninth highest graded quarterback in the NFL. In 2020, after he led the Browns to the playoffs, they had him as the 10th highest graded quarterback in the NFL. So unless someone else was watching all 32 quarterbacks and has a better list, I mean, we can say confidently he was playing at least as a top 10, top 12 level in this league. Um, Tim, let's talk about Baker's highs. We assume that his ceiling is that top 10 caliber quarterback. What aspects of his game would allow him to get to that level? I know you have some film that you wanted to share with everyone. Yeah, so I kind of, because my uh, my all 22 stuff wasn't working, I ended up putting just kind of a highlight reel together. But I'll touch before we watch that, because that doesn't have any of the improvement stuff. I will say there's a couple things he needs to improve on. Um, Bake it, dude. Yeah, no. <laughs> I'm gonna say this really quick though, JD. Um, in my personal opinion, DJ Moore is by far the best wide receiver that Baker Mayfield has played with in his NFL career because an injured Odell Beckham Jr. past his prime is not what DJ Moore is currently, in my opinion. So I, I think that's he's the best receiver he's played with. With no disrespect to Odell, I actually feel horrible for him with how many injuries he's. He's sustained. He's just not the same player. But as for um, as for things he needs to work on, um, he needs to work on his processing skills. Um, sometimes he can be fooled. I mean, for example, in 2020, that horrible game he had against the Steelers, I mean, he got fooled by a simple robber coverage. I mean, that doesn't happen to NFL quarterbacks. You know, um, sometimes for some reason he drifts in the pocket, makes his throws more difficult for no reason. Um, the weirdest part about Baker's struggles is that he doesn't always have those specific struggles. That's the weird part about the guy. I mean, he, when he came out in 2018, he was excellent in the pocket. Hell's grades in the pocket were fantastic. And then in 2019, the dude would just run right like all the time. And then in 2020, he had some issues with it, but then he seemed to correct it. And he was playing great from the pocket and then he wasn't playing great from the pocket. So Part of that has to be, you know, you're mixing up tons of different schemes 
that has to play a factor in that. You know, he's played in four different schemes in four years. Um, you know, this is going to be the fifth. It's kind of similar to the Fruity Kitchen stuff, to be honest. So it shouldn't be too crazy difficult. Um, but I will say Baker's got to work on his processing um, of information. Um, and that that's a big thing for him. Um, the other thing is you can help him with that stuff, though. If you're Ben McAdoo, you can give him some pre-snap looks. You can give him some RPOs. Give him some easy stuff. You know, help him warm up. He can be a bit streaky at times. Uh, he needs to work on his footwork. Another thing that three different coaches have changed. Different footwork. He's changed his footwork three times since he's gone in the NFL. So that means he's had four different styles of footwork in the last five seasons. That's not a good recipe for success either. So they've got to get that figured out. Um, Alex Van Pelt didn't want him to work with the quarterback coach in the offseason because he had a specific plan for him. Now he is working with the quarterback coach in the offseason because obviously he's no longer with the Browns. So he's got some stuff to work on. But I think that if he puts it all together, he can be a really good quarterback. I don't even think we've seen his ceiling yet, to be honest, because he has a huge arm. He is, he throws the ball at 60-plus velocity. There's only five quarterbacks in the league that do that. Um, my hand going up didn't do anything, apparently, with this filter. But, you know. <laughs> but, yeah, there's only five quarterbacks to do that in the league. So he has a lot of talent. And I'm going to show you some of the passes that he can do and you're going to see some of the things that he's capable of that you haven't been able to see with Sam Darnold. And there's a lot of quarterbacks that can't make some of the throws that he makes in this little three-minute-ish, you know, highlight reel of just a handful of plays. I just wanted to show some things that Baker can do. So here's – I'm going to start with a series of plays. This is that Baltimore game is rookie year where they win the game in overtime. And uh, as you can see, the Browns don't usually do him any favors, especially early in his career. So they call maybe the worst play – uh, I can think of an end around to a like guy that's on the bench that never plays. It's kind of a, you know, sign that he's going to do something. So you end up in a situation where you've got a second and long and uh, you know, and this is the drive to win the game in overtime for the Browns. There's two minutes on the clock and they go down and they win this game and Baker makes, you know, Baker's, you know, guard loses the battle here. He ends up getting 13 yards here to put them in a third and manageable third and eight. And he makes this rocket of a throw here where he escapes the rush. He, both of his guys get beat. He gets out of there. He throws across his body a dime to a fourth-string wide receiver. I think his name is Willies, and he goes down, and he gets like a good 50-yard gain. They get in a field goal range. They win the game. Here's one against the Panthers where he just gets a second in the pocket, steps up, and he can just – he can make any throw. Here's another one where he makes an absolute ridiculous throw, one of the best throws I've seen in my life. Threads the needle here, touchdown Browns. You have here, he shows some athleticism. He can move around in the pocket, um, gets outside of it, throws a dime on the move to Kareem Hunt for a touchdown. Um, you have here where he doesn't complete this pass here. Um, he doesn't complete the pass here, but this throw is ridiculous. This is in 45-mile-per-hour wins, just to show how ridiculous his arm talent is. This is 45-mile-per-hour wins. He jams this thing right here in between three defenders right in Landry's hands. Landry actually bobbles this pass, and that's why it ends up being – it's not a drop because obviously the coverage. Um, but this is not broken up by the defense. The defenders do not get their hands on this ball. Jarvis Landry drops it. This should have been a touchdown for the Browns. And 45-mile-per-hour wins, that's ridiculous. One of the problems with the Cleveland receivers, 32nd in, in separation rate each of the last two seasons. No separation for Donovan Peoples-Jones here. Nowhere else you can throw this football. It's a completion. Tony Romo's freaking out. The throw's <laughs> outstanding. I mean, you can't put it anywhere else. This is a throw that not all the quarterbacks in the NFL can make this throw. Very few quarterbacks can make this throw. Now, just because Baker can make throws that other quarterbacks can't doesn't guarantee that he'll be successful because it's more than just your ability to throw the football down the field. Um but these are some things that you can do. Look at this throw. This this comeback against Cincinnati where he completes 22 in a row. There's nowhere else to put that ball. Touchdown. Perfect throw. Here's his game-winning touchdown pass in that same game. Perfect throw. Donovan Peoples-Jones, touchdown. I mean, these are throws, again, that Sam Darnold was not capable of making. I mean, there's, these are throws that most people don't have the arm talent to make. These are precise throws. This is on a bad heel. This is probably the worst game of Baker's career, in my opinion, that I watched. Um, but he does have this insane throw here where he resets his feet. Dime, you know, 37-yard gain. Pressure on his face, third and 21. Third and goal from the 21-yard line. 
Nowhere else you can fit this ball. Touchdown to Njoku. Um, this is why this guy is so good in the red zone in his career. Over 60 touchdown passes, only three interceptions in the red zone in his career. Something you guys will like to hear after dealing with Sam Darnold for as long as you guys have had to do. Um, I mean, he makes throws that very few guys can make. Here's a big gotta-have-it play, fourth and four. You know, he evades the rush, steps up, makes a dime of a throw to his still teammate, Richard Higgins, for a touchdown. Gotta-have-it play. Uh, Baker comes through here for, for his team. Makes, you know, something out of nothing. Um, here's a throw in his rookie year where he rolls, he rolls, has a guy in his face, and throws a freakish dime for a touchdown to Kaderil Hodge. Um, this I just added in here because I just want to show how stupid his arm talent is. He flicks his wrist. This ball travels 73 yards in the air. This is the longest throw in NFL history on a football field. He throws it so far, the dude can't even keep track of it. He knocks out a Ravens defender before halftime, runs into a goalpost. Um, here's this Hail Mary against uh, that's successful against the Cardinals. He avoids the rush, um, and he throws a ridiculous dime here. Touchdown. I mean, he has effortless arm talent, and um, that's one of the things that separates Baker and the, pro the prospects of him being a possible franchise quarterback still from other guys. It's because he has things that other guys just don't possess. He can make throws in tight windows. He can make all of the NFL throws that you can think of. There are guys that just can't do that. Now, there are guys that can't do that, and they're still very successful at this level because they play the game differently. But this shows promise. This guy can make throws that almost no one can make. Um, this guy played in a run-based offense and systems that don't fit his skill set. He got dumped into the worst situation in NFL history to start his career. He has a lot of promise. This is not a Sam Darnold situation where you have a guy who's stunk and you just hope it works out. I mean, that, that's not the situation here that the Panthers are in. They're, they're getting a guy who has seriously some good film out there if you watch it. Got a lot going on. A lot of people are failing to realize when they compare it to the Sam Darnold trade because when you look at Sam Darnold, I mean, I mean he, Darnold has some good throws on tape, but he's been consistently bad since his rookie year. You don't see stretch as a good play. Maybe 20, what, 19 was it when the Jets went on that win streak? Yeah. Back half of that year, I think Darnold was playing some good football. It was just wasn't – you couldn't see that for a full season. I think with Baker Mayfield, we've seen a glimpse of his highs. He's had two very good years, 2018, 2020, you know, top 10, 12 quarterback, you know, in terms of analytics and performance. I mean, is that the guy that we're going to get? And I think if he can – achieve that level again. I mean, get healthy, get the right system in place, get the right pieces around them. You know, maybe this team can turn it around and get above that uh, five-win mark, win eight, nine games and push for a playoff spot. But, J.D., you watch that kind of, you watch that film. What's your first thoughts on what the Panthers are getting here compared to the disaster that we've had at this position over the last two, three years? At least from the perspective of what we, what we had before, um, even when they were both rookies, I had Donald and uh, Baker, I had their notes. And the one thing that stood out to me, because um, Donald will give you um, some of these wild-ish throws on USC film. And Baker obviously had the magic um, at Oklahoma. But the difference between the two was polish. Um, I, thought, I thought from jump, Baker was more polished than Darnold. Um, and you'll, you'll see glimpses of it, like he'll step up in the pocket maneuver and get himself to a better platform. Then you'll also have the, the plays where Baker makes his job or his life much, much harder by um, running himself right into pressure and then having to make a ridiculous throw to save face. Um, I think that's, that's a common theme for young quarterbacks nowadays too, um, especially seeing – guys like Patrick Mahomes lay out Neo style like horizontal to the ground, flick his wrist, and then, oh, my God, it hit the receiver in the hands in the end zone or whatever, that kind of stuff. So um, from what we've seen on film, it's obvious Baker has the arm talent. That's why um, – that's part of the reason why I didn't view it the same as trading for Darnold because Darnold was a complete project to me. We have to fix his feet. 
We have to fix his eyes. We have to fix his – well, compensate for his release because his release is a little bit more elongated than a guy like Baker. Um, streaky streaky inaccuracy. You, It's all this other stuff. Yes, Darnold gives you the wild throws sometimes, but at least with Baker, it's a little bit more compact release. You know, you have the, the pocket awareness, being able to move around, setting his feet. It's the little things that make it easier to build upon um, because you had to start with Donald literally from ground zero, from the jump. So, um, yeah, I, there's reason to be um, more impressed by this trade than the Donald trade for sure. If you look back even way back to college days. Yeah, and for me, um, real quick, want to throw this, you know, you guys are not like looking up the stats here. Um, one thing that gives me encouragement about Baker Mayfield, um, and it's uh, stats courtesy of NFL uh, um, Next Gen. Uh, since 2020, um, uh, with the clean pocket, uh, Sam Donald was ranked 32nd as far as passer rating. So it didn't matter if the pocket was hectic or clean. He just really wasn't effective. Now, Baker Mayfield, check this out. Uh, since 2020, when Baker Mayfield has um, hasn't had any pressure uh, while throwing, 67.5% completion, uh, yards per attempt 7.9, a crazy touchdown interception ratio of 24 to 4. That's basically 6 for 1. So, you know, when we was talking about, you know, the offensive line play, like if we can – you know, really give, uh, really get this guy some time. I think that he could take advantage of it in ways that uh, Sam Donald couldn't even fathom uh, um, to do, uh, you know, here. And like any other quarterback, you know, he struggles with pressure. Uh, them same numbers for the same time frame since 2020 um, with uh, Baker Mayfield. Uh, under pressure, 42.2%, 5.5 yards per attempt, and two touchdowns to five interceptions. So, you know, like any quarterback, you know, a lot of quarterbacks struggle up under pressure, particularly younger quarterbacks. But, you know, we can get this offensive line to pass block well with the weapons that we got and a health to McCaffrey. I, I, it's, we're going to be interesting. I, I'll tell you that much. But to cover Baker on the field, I think there's kind of a stigma about him. You know, I mean, I'm not saying any of this is true, just kind of what the general perception is. He's a bad teammate. He's loud, doesn't hold himself accountable, um, attitude problems, locker room problems, the issue with Odell Beckham's dad going on Instagram, showing low light tapes of all the throws. <laughs> you kind of clear some of that up because I know you've followed Absolutely. him a lot more than we have and a lot of our listeners have sure. as well. So I've talked to several players that are on the Cleveland Browns roster. You know, they, you know, they asked for uh, they asked to be left anonymous but i will say this the concept that baker's a bad dude and a bad teammate that's not well liked in a general sense is just not fair it's not accurate even odell and baker were getting along fine when that video that was made by an amateur you know fan odell beckham senior just retweeted it you know um at the end of the day odell wanted to be out of cleveland Odell was going to get out of Cleveland no matter what way it took. Baker, Odell was willing to kill his friendship with Baker to get out of Cleveland to salvage his career. You can kind of understand that. I mean, receivers wanted to get away from Kevin Stefanski's offense for a long time, going back to Stephon Diggs in Minnesota. It's not a good fit. I mean, if you if you have a rule in your offense that says you throw to the guy who's doing his job, He's in this spot at this time. And Odell Beckham Jr., we all know, is an improviser. He makes, he moves around. He changes direction. He does whatever he thinks he has to do to get open. And that's just not a good fit for that offensive system. It is what it is. It was never a fit. Baker and him didn't have a great connection either. And Odell needed a fresh start. That's what he needed. you know. And ultimately, he's the same guy. I know there, there's a lot of media weird hype about it, what happened in, in L.A., but his splits between LA and his 12 games there and the splits that he had the tw last 12 games with Baker are almost identical, except that he catches two yard touchdown passes in LA. It's almost the same thing. So Odell is the same guy that he is now. He's a number two, maybe a number three wide receiver on a team with two good ones and his current career. He can help people. He's a good player, but like, you know, they needed to have that split, but I will say this teammates love Baker. They wanted him to be on the field with them. They thought he was awesome. 
they thought he it was awesome that he fought through all those injuries because they knew how hard he was working. He was doing three days of of uh, you know of rehab and work every week just to have any chance to get on the field. Um, everyone I've talked to is like he's a good dude. Yeah, he has some maturity issues. He's a young man. Um, you know, and you know, you guys know athletes, you've interviewed some, you've talked to some, you know, that sometimes these guys can come off as a bit entitled and a bit, you know, you know, they're accomplished. They got an ego. He has a little of that. There's no question. But like, as in terms of good dude, people like the guy in general, he's a good guy. He does good things in the community. Uh, he's nice to people. I've met him multiple times. He's a very genuinely kind individual off the, off the field. He's actually just a cool, down-to-earth guy. I mean, he doesn't spend his money. You know, if you guys watch that podcast he did, the You Never Know podcast, he's a simple dude. He just does his thing. That's the way he is. He's really a cool the, – the locker room stuff's nonsense. Baker Mayfield galvanizes locker rooms. All this stuff happened, and the reason why it's all out like this is for one reason and one reason only, because the quarterback that the Cleveland Browns traded for is Deshaun Watson, and he has a lot of baggage. And Baker Mayfield is the perfect lightning storm to distract from that, and they just happen to have him on their roster. If they had traded for Aaron Rodgers, if they had traded for Russell Wilson, we would not have heard a peep about any of this stuff because everything that happened was minor. What I was told is the reason why there were some issues in the locker room had nothing to do specifically with Baker Mayfield. It had to do with losing. The Browns' locker room and culture is not completely fixed. Stefanski's only been there two seasons. Stefanski's a new coach. There's issues there in Cleveland, because they've been a perpetual loser for decades, they have work to do to clean that up. Yeah, it got better with Jarvis Landry's leadership and, you know, Miles Garrett's leadership and Baker Mayfield's leadership. But I mean, we're, we don't sit here and talk about Miles Garrett being a horrible dude because a couple of years ago, he had a really poor judgment moment where he hit a dude in the head with a helmet. It's <laughs> Baker is not this dude that everyone dislikes that that was a false narrative it was just not true and i can say that without a shadow of a doubt most people like baker mayfield in that locker room of course you are we're all adults we know that that there are people that don't like you of course because that's just the way the adult world works i work with people that don't like me and i work with people i don't like you know and this is the same thing for you guys i'm sure you have your work people that you like and don't like and there's nothing there's nothing is nothing serious there's nothing devious or or scandalous about the situation with baker in the locker room it's just not a real thing before we get to fan comments and questions let's, uh i'm gonna have kev uh break down the salary cap uh situation uh for us so with baker mayfield we're acquiring him at a just below five million dollars we already owe sam darnold about 19 million so what are we now pegged in that for at that quarterback position and how does our cap space looking for the rest of the year? Okay. Well, as far as the salary cap situation goes, um, you know, both Cleveland and Baker did us a favor by pretty much clearing about 13 and a half million of the $18 million uh, that was on his fifth year option. Uh, did us a huge favor for that. So, you got Baker at five million. You got Sam Donald at eighteen, so that's twenty-three million. Uh, PJ Walker pennies. I think he resigned for like maybe two mil, if that much. I don't even think he even got that much. I think it was like one point seven five million. Uh, he was one of the first ones to be resigned. So uh, we are literally under twenty-five million for the three quarterbacks that are now on our roster, versus a. Jimmy Garoppolo, whose 2022 salary is set at 26 million for one. So again, hats off to our GM for uh, for being able to pull this off to where the numbers still uh, favor us. Now, as with that being done over the structure, I think we're still near the top of the league as far as remaining uh, salary cap amount left. I think this puts us at around. It hasn't been updated, but around still around 20. Eight, around two, I'm gonna say 27 and a half million dollars um, for the Panthers. Um, if we were to, uh, let me know. Hold on, hold on. My correction. Let's see. What's we'll Do you know? I'm sorry. 20. I'm sorry. 24 and a half million. Sorry. Do you know how much they want to roll over into next year? I know that they have a 2023 is a little different for them. Do you know how much they're trying to roll over or have any indication of that? Well, we're waiting on. 
waiting on the final numbers because the new TV contract money is supposed to kick in uh, this coming off season. It's going to be a big boost for everybody. Um, but I know that with the Brian Burns uh, looking to cash in and get his uh, big contract extension, um, I'm thinking that they would like to roll over as much as possible. I think that was one of the reasons why we held off so long to, um, you know, spend selectively at, at quarterback. Uh, Scott Fitter has always said he'd like to have at least $10 million headed into the season in case for emergencies, things of that nature. I think that's common for a lot of GMs. Uh, but I think they'd like to try to probably roll over as as much as possible if, if they're able to to go along with the new uh, TV contract money. So, again, early speculations. Looks like the Panthers be sitting right around close to about $90 million when this new TV money um, kicks in. Um, and if we used to roll this over and in the TV contract money, so we'll be sitting right along the $100 million mark um, here with these early numbers that are for the uh, 2023 salary cap. So we definitely had a chance to um, uh, solidify, you know, uh, multiple positions if the players prove their worth. Remember, that doesn't include additional signings that will happen next year and contract right. extensions and all of that. So right, kind of where we stand today prior to the year. Let's go get to some of these uh, fan comments before we call it a night. Have uh, Johans, how you doing tonight? Uh, I wonder what this means for Robbie Anderson. What's your thoughts about him being disgruntled? I think that's a myth. He came out on Twitter already, addressed that, said he has no problem with Baker. Uh, Baker's already reached out to all the running backs and wide receivers to meet up and uh, get some throws in before training camp. So I think Robbie, at the end of the day, just wants to be productive. He wants to win football games and I don't think there'll be an issue once they get to know each other and play together. I don't expect that to be an issue. Should Sam Darnold still start the season? Absolutely not. I don't even think anyone's going to disagree with that one there. Hell <laughs> um, no. <laughs> I think I could see him getting traded. Actually, I know they said they weren't going to, but I mean, if a team gets an injury, you got Seattle out there, San Francisco releases Jimmy G. Don't be surprised to see a late move to get Darnold moved uh, somewhere. Can somebody tell me why we're still picking up other people's trash? Dot, dot, dot. Your quarterback, Sam Darnold, bro. I mean, come on. Let's not be too picky here. I mean, are you trying to win or are you trying to tank in hopes of some number one pick saving you? I mean, then you're back to what the Browns were before, Baker, trying to, you know, take crap, crap, crap to the quarterback over and over and over again for 10 years. You're in purgatory and you won't find the guy. I mean, I think they took the best quarterback available, has a high upside, got him at $5 million. Sometimes, you know, let's just see what he can do and hopefully help give us some stability, stabilize this position at least. Jamarcus Russell, though, that ain't right, man. You can't compare him to no Jamarcus Russell. Jamarcus (laughs) Russell ate more cheeseburgers than he threw touchdown (laughs) passes. That's not right, bro. Come on now. Get it. Oh, baby. Jamarcus didn't even watch film. They put a – they gave him tape to watch and said, watch this tape and talk about it. The next day, Jamarcus comes in the next meeting talking about the tape, and I think it was a blank tape yes. that they gave him that showed he didn't even watch. Yo, uh, yo I will say, I will say, in California, those In-N-Out burgers are slamming. So, you know, I, I understand the, <laughs> the struggle of Jamarcus Russell. I, I, I will attest to that. Shout out to In-N-Out. Hey, the, uh, we should have played rusher opposite Burns can't be by committee. Keep an eye on Carlos Dunlap. He's still unsigned. He came to Carolina for a visit. A month ago, probably just trying to work numbers, and I'll be surprised to see a veteran like him come in. I'm not. I'm not going for the tour. I mean, your tour grows models if he can stay healthy. I mean, he's played great in stretches as well. Uh, Marquise Haynes, Frankie Louvu. You know, I mean, just got to do it by committee. It's hard to replace a Hassan Reddick. Boy, the answer is on the roster, man. It's 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 gonna be Marquise Haynes. It's gonna be. I'm telling y'all right now, it's going to be Marquis Thane or Frankie Louvu. It don't matter. Getting other teams failed QB over and over and expecting it. I mean, you can't really look at it like this year by year. Every year is different. You can't go into the season with Sam Darnold as your starting quarterback. So what do you do? You're going to throw Matt Corral in there. Matt Corral is going to struggle, throw 20 interceptions, and y'all going to make memes about him, talk about how he ain't trash. Talk about, you know, bump old tweets about people being, you know, Matt Corral needs to sit and develop. You know, P.J. Walker's obviously not the guy. Cam Newton, love him to death, franchise legend. I mean, but what tape do we have over the last two years that shows 
you know, that he can still be that guy, a full-time starter for a full season. I think you're in a situation where it's all, it's July. You know, you got to go into the season. You're trying to win football games. You have to take the best guy available. It's Baker Mayfield or Jimmy Garoppolo. And considering the fact that Jimmy, coming off a shoulder injury, still hasn't even started throwing. Uh, what's his cap hit, Kev? Like $26 million, which San Francisco thinks that they can still get a second rounder for him. I don't know why, but – you know, I just don't see uh, Jimmy G trade being realistic. So I think they had to go with, you know, the best option available to try to get in the best chance to win this year. Yeah, and Tim, I would like to say if uh, what you said about it being misled about uh, Baker's personality in the locker room, then I'm more than willing to uh, retract what I said earlier because uh, that's a lot of the vibe that I just kept consistently seeing and hearing. You know, they say where there's fire, there's, where there's smoke, there's fire, but – yeah. If you're saying that he's not the real lock, uh, the big locker room ish, because you know before that even came out, you know that was my number one gripe about him. Yeah. It wasn't really anything on the field. It was just this perceived, uh, it was just perceived attitude. So I'm glad that you are able to vouch for that, and I'll, yeah. and I'll take it at full face value. Now, like I said, I, I welcome the man like anybody else on the team with open arms and uh, want him to succeed. I will say this, like, I don't understand where, where the perception of, uh, I don't remember what that gentleman's name is. His name's gone now off the, off the thing, but yeah. Baker Mayfield really did, wasn't a failure in Cleveland. I mean, the Cleveland Browns finished last in their division for seven or eight consecutive seasons before he got there. They haven't done that since he's been their quarterback. I know that's not a crazy amount, but I mean, when you're talking about an organization that won four games in four years, I mean, what Baker did there is incredible. I mean, honestly, if Baker wasn't a guy that had a bit of a um, fiery personality that some people don't gel with, I don't think we'd be, I don't think people would be talking about Baker like, like this in this situation. I mean, Baker's had success in this league. It's not, this isn't Sam Darnold where you're picking up a guy who threw more touchdowns or more interceptions than touchdowns. And you're just hoping it works out. Like again, Baker was a top 10 to 12 quarterback in two of his three healthy seasons in the NFL. I mean, th this guy actually can play like we've seen him do it. Yeah, and I think, you know, at some point as fans, we just have to deal with the reality of the situation. This draft class wasn't strong at the QB position. You know, no, no guy was worth taking at six. You know, they were taking developmental project guys, Malik Willis types, you know, Desmond Ritter types, Matt Corral types in the third round and hoping maybe two, three years down the road, you know, they can develop into quality serviceable starters. So, you know, you're not going to get a starting quarterback in the draft. Um, who's your options? You know, he gave up a fourth round five million. What else is out there? Who's a legitimate yeah. starting quarterback? I know we want to say add Cam Newton in that mix, but you know, yeah. we just haven't seen that. And, no, and and, and I will say, that. last year, if he if Baker was on the market last year, how much would he have demanded on the market? Right, at least the first round pick, at least. I mean. You got him for a fourth. It's going to be a fourth because he's going to play 70% of the snaps unless he gets hurt. So it's right. going to be a fourth-round pick. You're probably going to pay him $8 million. Only five is going to count against your cap. I mean, like, of all the lottery tickets that you've put out there, I mean, this is the lowest and cheapest and most incredibly efficient possible lottery ticket that you can throw. I mean, right. I know, know a lot of people, I think the big issue, the big detractors, I think, wanted to see Corral start but i just think you know until you really see him in preseason maybe he'll ball out i don't know but that'll be fair to that you start too. to see him a struggle a bit i think you'll start to warm up oh that's why we didn't want to throw yeah. him to the wolves right away so you know For we'll sure. see what he can do i mean i think baker's achieved higher highs than any other quarterback in our room so we'll see what he can do yeah next question are the expectations higher now that baker is the qb what is considered. I think it has to be. I don't think Matt Rule should get another shot after this year. He's fixed his quarterback position. He's, you know, addressed the offensive line. I think he has to win at least eight, nine games this year, battle for a wild card spot to be able to return. Um, I don't know how we can, you know, keep trying this, you know. I mean, I think last year we can say, oh, it was Sam Darnold's fault. 2020, oh, it's a COVID year. You know, Teddy gets hurt, dot, dot, dot. I mean, what's the excuse this year? I think Fitter has done a good job of building the roster, so we need to see some results at some point. Icky Ekwanu, left tackle. 
Possibly. I think left guard is not as solid as you may think, but I think Brady Christensen will be the favorite heading into training camp. Honestly, this is the best QB situation we could realistically be in. I agree. It is what it is. You think expectations are too high for a conditional fifth round pick? Depends on what your expectations are. Um, I think with this team, you should be an eight to nine win team. If not, then we need a new coach because I don't, I mean, especially in the NFC. I mean, it's, I think eight wins might get you <laughs> into the playoffs in that conference. All right, and that wraps up the fan comments. So, um, Tim, thanks for joining us tonight. you have any closing remarks before we sign off for the night? Oh, man, I'd love for you guys to follow me on Twitter. I, You know, I'm going to talk about Baker throughout of his, his time at Carolina. I hope it works out well. Um, I just want to thank you guys for having me on. It's been a blast. I hope I haven't blabbed too much and uh, – you know, disrupted your flow too bad. <laughs> but uh, no, it's it's been fun, man. Appreciate uh, appreciate everyone who watched and uh, appreciate uh, you guys having me. Okay, uh, Kev, you have anything you want to say before we? Nah, I'm, I'm just thankful for this opportunity. You know, it's been a while. You know, after the draft, it kind of um, slows down right here. So it's good that we had something to get us through this uh, post OTA pre-training camp uh, love, that, that sit-sweet love between, you know, you know my NBA playoffs on or anything, you know, it's just baseball and hockey, you know. So it was good to get some news on. And uh, we just appreciate, you know, you, Tim, for, for joining us. We're definitely going to give you a, uh, a follow and uh, definitely look forward and uh, hope we can uh, work together again soon. Hey, I just – I have to come back on at least one time so I can uh, so I can argue with Monty about something. Yeah, we got to get him on. We got to get him on. <laughs> I'm saying, why not after week one when uh, Baker takes on Cleveland? I mean, that, you know, hey, that's that was hey, the idea. Baker, Baker uh, uh, the Browns haven't won a opening game in a long time. Baker's zero and three as in in in, uh, in openers, but I think it's more of a Browns problem. Okay, we'll, we'll find out. So the Panthers got the NFC what North this year, so you're gonna be able to make a game. I think we're on the road at Cincinnati. So you're going to be able to make that game? Sure, yeah. You guys should make it up here, too. Okay. Yeah, I think yeah. we're on the road at Cincinnati. This Let me year see what week that is. Too. What week is that? We're at Cincinnati. We're at Baltimore. Home games against Pittsburgh and um, and Cleveland. Okay. What we, do you know what, 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 the, what the date is on the Cincinnati game? Let's get that right here. Before I think we that was in come. November. By the way, Baker's 3-0 against Joe Burrow. Oh really? <laughs> yeah, Baker. Baker's torn up, torn up the, the Bengals every time they play. Yeah, Panthers at Bengals November six. That's gonna be a cold weather game. <laughs> okay. Outdoors. Birthday game. <laughs> okay. Yeah, I was just yeah. I was like, I hadn't looked at the schedule, man. I was like, I, I'm going to the Red River Showdown this year between Oklahoma and Texas. So as long as it wasn't that weekend, we can make, probably make it happen. Okay. Yeah. I live in Ohio, so stone yeah. throw away. Y'all should. All right. You guys can come up, man. That'd be cool. Yeah, we'll let us you know. We had some. We're yeah. trying to plan our road trip. So I mean, the Bengals, former Super Bowl or AFC champions, that might be a good one to go to. Yes, sir. Right. So everybody else, uh, thanks for joining us tonight. Uh, enjoyed y'all. Sorry for the loss of content, the lack of content. I mean, this period between mini camp and beginning of the training camp is the worst part of the year for football fans. But uh, we'll be back up and running again on our normal weekly schedule once training camp and preseason start. So bear with us and uh, keep pounding. And we'll uh, talk to you all next time. Peace.